Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use promo code RINGERNFL. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com to get started today. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier. It is Tuesday afternoon. This will probably go up go up on Wednesday afternoon. Um, and I am joined by the esteemed Mike Lombardi. After a crazy Monday night game, we saw the national championship last night. Alabama pulls off the win in overtime over the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, first thoughts when you watch that game. I mean, it was a wild affair. My first thought is, God, thankful I live in Los Angeles. Because <laughs> I would have never seen that game. Like, yeah. I know I'm old and I go to bed at 830. I get all that, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, like... Like, there's no chance I would have been able. First of all, I would have probably been working for a team or something. You got to get up early the next morning. And you got, like, I feel bad for people that can't really watch that game. I mean, it was hard to stay awake if you live on the East Coast to, to do it. And I know a lot of people probably didn't, but, you know, I, I thought it was great. It was truly what this whole, the last two years for me has been exactly what we've wanted, which is the two best teams, all due respect to Central Florida you know, the two best teams playing for the national championship. And we saw a great game by two really good coaches, players that were, you know, I'm Mac Brown was at the game. You saw him there. Tape. <laughs> there was enough five stars on that field to bring a smile to his face. And enough five stars like outside that just came back to watch the game. I thought that was a cool thing between Alabama and Georgia. I mean, the Georgia sideline, you started going through it. Obviously, we saw Herschel Walker there right. and Bill Dooley. I mean, it's great to see two legends at the game that come out for the coin toss. But then you go down the sideline, you know, you saw A.J. Green, you saw Todd Gurley, all these Georgia guys on the sideline. You go to the Alabama sideline, you see Trent Richardson, you see, you know, as it, as it panned through, it wasn't like they were focusing on these stars, but as you went back and forth, you're like, wow. These are two, you know, cream of the crop programs really facing off right here. Like, who handled the sideline passes? Like, I like was there? I, I mean, the sideline was packed. Like mm-hmm. it was standing room only. I thought it was like you know in the nightclub and in in, uh, in Goodfellas where they you know they got to move the table in front to get the guys <laughs> yes. there. And that's what the sideline looked like. You got to yeah, they had to duke somebody to get on the sideline. I like, feel bad if you're a three star and you try to get down to oh the sideline. There was no no room for. Three I bet stars. Aaron Murray had a tough time getting a ticket <laughs> down there. He was he like. Probably, a, he probably had to stand on like a, a stool to look over. He's like not <laughs> tall enough to see the field. You yeah. know? What about Brody Croyle? Do you think he got a spot down oh, there? No, I don't think no, so. Brody stay in the stands. I mean, <laughs> he'd have been better off. I mean, it was like it was standing. Like I kept looking at him, thinking, could you imagine if Belichick was coaching one of these teams and he saw all these people on the sideline? He'd have gone berserk. Yeah, I think he would have had a heart attack or at I, least kicked everyone out at one point, like, especially wanna, if it was halftime and they were like, down thirteen to zero. I'm convinced. I'm not accusing anybody here, Dave Frazier, but I'm convinced somebody had to be duped to get like there was somebody. You know the number one. You know the most important person in, in I learned this I worked in Las Vegas from 1981 my first job to 1983 and mm. the most influential person in Las in Las Vegas is who's that the fire marshal mm. because he can walk in and close down any joint right yep. so everybody wants to make sure that they get the maximum amount of people in the place and a little bit more right keep it up to code uh, up and above code right <laughs> yeah. and so he's getting duped constantly oh you need two tickets to go see you know Siegfried and Roy oh sure no problem you know come on in you know and so like to me it looked like I don't know who was in charge of the PR out on the sideline, but I'm like, oh my God, I can't even, like, it was impossible. Yeah, I feel bad for the SIDs that were in charge of getting all those media passes for everyone. I, I think that would have been a big headache. And that kid that was having the raging moment on the sideline, like, he could have just randomly punched somebody on the field. I can't believe that he not only had that moment, I mean, and he ended up having a great play on special teams after that. That was a big stop on the kickoff later in the game, but... 
That big, is he a five star or three star? Can we look that up right I now? I think please? he's a four star. I actually looked it up last night. He's okay, a four star, good. which is always tough because you don't know because the four star could all, always end up being a five star talent or they could just be a three star right. talent. You're never okay. sure. It's right in the middle. Uh, but he has this big blow up, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that guy's done for the night. There's I, no way that Nick Saban's letting that guy ever get I, back I in the game. I almost tweeted out, like, send that guy into the locker room, please. Just uh-huh. like, send, somebody get him away. And then he makes that play. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't tweet that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> makes this huge play, a game-changing play. Uh, let's just talk about the game itself besides all the, all the fanfare on the sidelines. Uh, quickly, though, $2,300 was the average ticket price for this game. I mean, I know that is averaged out with some of the tickets that are $50,000 and some of the suites and right, everything, right. but uh, that's incredible. Yeah, well, I mean, look, price. You, you put the game in, in, in the best place the hotbed. I mean, those kids, like when I was, th- when they came out, when Mac was out there and they did mm-hmm. the, inter- I'm thinking these kids have played high school games against one another. Mm-hmm. Like this is like in their blood, you know? And so to me, it's the perfect venue for the Southeast conference championship, if you will, which ended up being the national championship. So, I mean, they love college football down there and I could see it. It's amazing how people, A, stayed up that late, B, spent that much money for tickets when, you know, you could stay at home and watch HGTV and feel really comfortable about it and listen to Herbie. It's like an MSG atmosphere, but it's for college football down in Atlanta. Uh, This game was filled with all. I mean, we got rivalries between the coaches. For people that don't know, Kirby Smart was with Alabama, defensive coordinator for a long time. He and Nick Saban are very close. Nick Saban has this weird ability to beat all of his former coaches. I don't know if it's because he knows what their tendencies are. I feel like Kirby late in this game kind of tried to get away from his own tendencies not to show his hand to Nick Saban, and it kind of hurt him. It kind of cost yeah. him late in that game. Yeah, I thought the the weirdest play of all was early in the fourth quarter on third and two, they went sh- they went wildcat. Mm-hmm. Like, like from- well, they, they call it wild dog. I was wild corrected dog. when I said they went wildcat. I apologize. It's, it's wild dog, D-A-W-G. Look, look, no one loves Ugga more than I do. I love. I mean, they could have they panned Ugga all the whole I night. Love I, yeah, I would have been happy with Ugga. You know, especially Ugga dressed in red, you know, like wondering when my next biscuit coming. But <laughs> Anyway, I, they went they went wild dog, and I'm thinking, wait a second here, this just just doesn't like from. I know their running back is great, mm-hmm. the, the Michelle kid, or is that how you say it? Yeah, Sony Michael. Michelle and Nick Chubb, but Nick Chubb was the one that was getting the, the not Michelle, which is Michelle sort of the the speed back, and and Chubb is more the power back. Right, and look, their offensive line was struggling blocking inside. I mean, those mm-hmm. Alabama inside guys were really good, but to me, it, like Fromm's ability to make a play on third down makes the defense have to defend run pass. When you go to Wildcat, you're just defending run, right? So, like, the last thing you want to do to a Nick Saban defense is basically tip your hand. And when you take Fromm away from it, like, it's good for one play in the second quarter to kind of keep them off balance. But, like, after that, after they see it, you know they're going to adjust it. Whenever you play a coach of the quality like Nick Saban or, you know, any of those guys, when you run a play that they haven't seen before, you can't run that play again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can't run it. Like, I can remember we played Parcells in a playoff game or or a regular season game, and we had this fake trap inside. And, you know, we hit the we, – we faked the trap, and we hit the tight end down the seam and got about 20 yards. We tried to throw that play back in the third quarter. They picked it off naturally. Mm-hmm. You, you learn your lesson right there. So, like, to me, once you did it once, unless you do something completely different, they're going to coach it up well. And I, and I think that that was a huge mistake. It gave the ball back, and then that's when Alabama came back and tied the game. Uh, or I'm not sure if they kicked the field goal or tied it, but they basically – They kicked ca- the field goal, and then they tied the game on the touchdown. Then they tied the game. But so, like, for me, like, I thought that was really – I thought Kirby was trying to outsmart himself there. And so that whole play, it comes back full circle to the first half. So it's 6-0 game. Georgia's staying ahead of the of the change for the most part of this game. Right. Alabama's offense couldn't get anything going. No. Hertz has 21 yards. He's 3-for-8. Everyone's wondering. misses wonder- a touchdown. Yeah. Right? I mean, they left 10 points on the field, right? Mm-hmm. They misses the double move. 
to, to Ridley over there, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, then the kid misses the field goal, which I feel bad for that kid. I'm sure he's transferring to Tuskegee Institute as Papanastos. we speak. Yeah, I mean, that poor guy. I, you know, I mean, I'm glad he won a national championship. But, I mean, you could tell he was in no He needs to go mo- back to Greece, I think. He needs to he hide away for a no few months. Chance. Maybe go to Santorini like, and then come back in I mean, months. we spent so much time figuring out where they were going to put the ball for the last kick before <laughs> overtime. When I was thinking, I don't care where you put that ball. I don't think he's going to make this damn thing. Yeah, but well, I'm, I'm going to go back to the first half. So it's 6-0. Stay with me. Yeah. 6-0, and we go down, and Georgia, they're attacking. So from they take them all the way down the field, and then they do the wild dog. They, they come in, and they do a nice little fake on it. So Hardman, they get the sweet play. Hardman right. gets the pitch. He takes it in for the touchdown, 13-0 at halftime. And this, the wild dog works that time. It throws them off for a loop. You think it's going to be a power run. They run the sweep. It gets Alabama all out of sorts. They go to halftime. Nick Saban's ass. You know, what's going on with the offense? It's sputtering at the moment. He says, it's not the quarterback position. We're going to figure this thing out and come back. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, we're going to see Hurts in the second half. As the guy's been back-to-back title games, it'll be fine. He's a veteran. We come back the second half, throw all that out. Tua comes in, a freshman quarterback. We're not sure who he is or what he's about. And he just starts, I mean, he looks like Russell Wilson 2.0. He's running all over the place. We didn't even know we could run the ball. Right. We, we just heard he had a, a cannon for an arm. Comes in, changes this whole game, changes the whole dynamics of the game. Georgia answers a couple of times, has a good pick on him. But every single time, he just seems to bounce back. And it goes back to the to the wild dog plays later in the game. When they did it in the first half, they had a little, a little wrinkle to it. And in the second half, they went completely conservative. Right. They were scared not to have a turnover to change the game. Right. It, it's the opposite of what the Falcons did against the Patriots. Instead of trying to attack and attack, they went completely conservative and tried to run clock, right. and it came back to bite them. And with the quarterback change, I think that was that was fascinating. First of all, I'm not. I don't know if Hurt had a concussion. Some people think he may have. When you watch that game, right? To me, it was really clear the only way that Alabama was going to be able to win that game was they were going to have to throw the football. They were not going to win that game with quarterback runs. They just too many third downs, and so I thought Nick. What Nick did was make a great move. Because he had to, whether the kid had a concussion or not. But the only way he was going to win that game, because I was watching that game, I thought as bad as Alabama played in the first half, I didn't get the sense that Alabama was out of it. You know, Mm -hmm. like I thought they were in it if they could just make a play in the passing game. I thought their defense was playing actually better. I thought Georgia was going to win the game because Fromm was the better quarterback, right? To me, those games come down to it. I didn't anticipate, I didn't know about the kid, but they said he was really good in practice and that he was threatening to transfer. Again, Lane Kiffin's going to play into this somehow. <laughs> that that Lane Kiffin was like thinking he could get him. Now, I, now I'm sure Jalen Hurd probably tomorrow or the next day will announce he's transferring to Florida Atlantic. Mm-hmm. But the reality here is that they had to do something with their offense. There's no way they could go in there. And they did. I think they would. They gained over 400 yards in the second half. Yeah. And when you look at Tua and the offense in general with Alabama, Hurst did a great job. I mean, he was involved in the game. He was clapping. I mean, there's not a lot of kids that are going to act that way. To me, that's the definition of mental toughness is doing what's right for the team that might not be right for you. Mm -hmm. There it was right there. That was the classic example of mental toughness. And we saw Saban put him late in the game before the final field goal. So we have a tie game. It's 20-20. to Bama's trying to get to back to the center of the field. They they didn't want to be in the left hash mark because apparently Papanastos just can't kick from the left hash. So they're going to the right side of the field. They put Hurts in in the final play because he's going crazy on Tua. Two almost let the clock run out at one point. I he know. didn't know what was going on. Right. Luckily, Nick went crazy. Nick yeah. ran out to the field. I thought he was going to get a penalty going out there. So he puts Hurts back in. So that has to show you something that, I mean, Hurts to keep himself mentally engaged in the game where Saban, you know, relies on him to come back in the game and, and to take that knee and set him up. They miss a kick, obviously. But – 
just from a team standpoint, what does that do to your offense to say, I don't even know this Tua guy, I don't even know this freshman, and now he's our quarterback in the national title game? Well, for me, my first reaction was watching him play is you can actually run an offense with this guy. Mm -hmm. Like, there's things you can do with him. Like, I, I could see him next year. I could see Alabama running boots at Nakeds, and I could see them having some quarterback runs, but more, I could see him being more of a pro-style offense in terms of what they want to accomplish than they were with Hertz because Hertz it was all quarter it was single wing essentially mm -hmm. that's what they were they were single wing offense now with this kid his ability to make throws his ability to read and move and react and his ability to, to what he did like on the last play look off the safety I mean those things are rare that I, I could see Alabama now finally having an offense like like Kiffin when he was there they were just a bunch of trick plays. Mm -hmm. Okay, they it was they, the Link Kevin. I throw my hands up for the touchdown right, on the deep ball, yeah. right? Just throw it up there, you know. Like, and to me, that's Oklahoma's problem. Like, to me, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's a really good coach, but they run too many, they don't have an offense, they just run trick plays. And so, when it's third and eight and you got to make a play, you need an offense, you just can't run a trick play, like, mm -hmm. you can't run a double reverse to pass here. And I think this kid, for the first time since I was texting a coach in the NFL last night, we we're watching the game. And and he knows both parties in this thing. And we're like, how does Nick not have a five-star, all due respect to Mac, of quarterback? Like, how does he not have, like, the best quarterback in the country? I mean, he recruits his ass off. He's got a pro-style offense. And it seems like the guys that he's pulled in that are, quote-unquote, the five-star number one quarterbacks, like Sims that comes in, they just don't quite have it. Yeah, like, they, they misevaluated him, mm -hmm. right? Like, and that's typically not Nick either. Like, Nick, like, how can't they have a better, like, why isn't the NFL, like, at Alabama, like, they have, it's, it's quarterback you. It should be quarterback you, mm -hmm. right? And so this kid comes off the bench in the first series. He goes three and out. And I'm thinking, ah, dang, is this kid really good? And, of course, Herbie's already proclaimed on the second coming of Jesus Christ, you know, after ever Nobody loves college football like Kirk Herbstreit. Everything that anything happens in a game, he just loses. Man, it's like, oh, God. I got, not the detour. So I'm watching the game, and I'm getting annoyed. Because when Herbie was was defending the, the the interception that he threw when mm -hmm. it was a when it was a run, yes, and he decided when they were all blocking and Herbie was like, it took him like through the commercial break to come back to it. I'm like, I can't take this. Anymore. It was offensive pass interference down the field. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. It wasn't called. So I'm like, okay. And then like people are like, oh, why aren't you watching the film room? Did you see the film room? Mm -mm. So ESPN had this. So thing. they had Cutcliffe, and I knew they had a bunch of guys in there. Man, it was really good. Cutcliffe to me was everything people have told me about Cutcliffe because I don't know David was really true. Smart, intellectual, thinking man's football. That whole thing was really good. Tom Luganbill was at the head of the table. It's like they had a pizza party. Nice. They had Sumlin in there. It was really good to me. It was. It just showed you the vast difference between what we're listening to and what's really happening on the field. Like to me, there was a huge difference. And so I thought that was really, I think ESPN deserved, I mean, to me, that's a pregame show. Nobody was dressed in suits. Nobody had, you know, like the, you know, everybody was just in there talking. And I thought it was good because when you get a lot of coaches in that setting, everybody wants to prove who's the smartest guy in the room mm -hmm. when, that yet last night nobody did. So I thought that was really good. And with Luganville, it's just all football guys. I mean, Georgia Tech quarterbacks in there with you. It's not like a media host that's right. in there with you. Right. It's everyone so just talking football. He, he was just everybody was just talking ball and they were analyzing the plays and how a play broke down and how it didn't. I thought it was. I mean, if you wanted to learn the game and people on Twitter like you need to watch this, and so I did, and I appreciated people telling me that. So, but when I was watching the game, Tate Frazier, I'm thinking. Like this kid, once he made he made that third down scramble where mm -hmm. he made about four people miss. That was what changed the game because it could have been back to back three and outs, and no they, doubt. maybe they go back to Hertz if that happens. I think they might have gone if Hertz didn't have a concussion. I think they might have gone back to Hertz if he doesn't make that third down, mm -hmm. and he got him down there. And I think that drive they got a field goal or they get a touchdown on they that got a drive. Touchdown on that drive. That drive. And he kind of got his rhythm going a little bit, and then Dayball started calling those those fake runs. 
and throwing the ball behind the backers. And then, you know, he made some really good throws. So that kind of got their rhythm. And then Georgia answers with that incredible drive that they had on the big touchdown pass. Yeah, like, the 80-yard touchdown pass. I mean, that's when you thought the game was going to get open back up. And then they come back down. They get the 80-yard touchdown. They get an interception. And it looks like it's all Georgia football. They've weathered the storm of Alabama. Right. And then first play, we have a screen pass. It gets tipped at the line by Alabama. They get the ball right back, and then and they're back and driving again. And they kick the field goal there. Yep. They kick the field goal there, and then they come back, and Georgia doesn't convert a couple key. Like, I've said this to you. That's when they go wild dog and sort of lock, pack it look, in. Look, I don't care what anybody says. Those third and twos in big games mm-hmm. are always going to come down to bite you in the ass, and it bit Georgia in the ass. Wild dog, whatever you run, don't complete this pass. You know, to me, and then you give too many opportunities to a good team like Alabama – to get a chance to come back, you know, to me, it's really remarkable. I, but the fourth down call, you know, to me, that was that was remarkable by Alabama to pull that kid, pull that off. Because if he throws the ball in the flat right there, mm-hmm. it's a first down. Maybe he doesn't score, but he's looking for the double slant on the other side, and he holds it, and he waits for the guy to clear up and makes a great throw. That was really impressive. You mean the Ridley touchdown, right? Yeah, the Ridley touchdown. I, there is no way. That's what I mean when I when I say Russell Wilson, because the guy goes to his left. There's nothing there. As he throws the ball, he's falling down. It looks like he's throwing it to another guy. And somehow, you know, Ridley comes back across. You know, it was a great play by Ridley to keep the play alive. Comes back to his quarterback. Makes this amazing catch. His first touch on the day. Gets things going for that Alabama offense and obviously ties the game up. But, I mean, that's throwing it up in no man's land. And somehow the magic of this kid, it works out and they tie the game. And we're going to go to overtime. And that was a classic New England play. So they went, they had the back in the backfield Mm -hmm. and they went empty. And the back went out, and the and the linebacker went out with them, right? So now they kind of got a read. They got what they call the pre-snap read. They got a, they got a, the look, and so that play was the outside back, who's the running back, was going to run vertical, and then the inside receiver was just going to run the flat to get the first down. And they had a double slant on the back side. For some reason, the kid looked at the double slant. Well, there was three on two over there. There's no way you could have thrown that. The pa- the middle of the field was too tight. And he, if he would have thrown the ball to the flat right now, it's a first down. He waits, he gets pressure, and he moves, and then he makes that throw. And I, I'm, like, I'm thinking, when he let that thing go, I'm thinking, there's no way. And all of a sudden, Ridley comes streaming it all in the field and catches the ball. Yeah, and there was three or four Georgia guys. I mean, I think number 20 on Georgia. It went right through his fingertips. I mean, it, it was uh, an amazing play. And then we come down, we get the missed field goal, obviously. Alabama fans at that point are losing their minds. They're going to go to overtime to take on the dogs in Georgia, in Atlanta. Do you think Alabama started recruiting a kicker at that point immediately? <laughs> I don't know. Do but you think I know, Ed, I know Manowitz, Peppa- Ed Manowitz, the player personnel director at Alabama, was like, okay, uh, I'm going to start calling every kicker in the country right now? Yeah, because Nick Saban's going to be on my head at the end of this game. <laughs> I, I felt bad for Papanasso as a kicker for Alabama because they kept showing him on the sideline. And, you know, we got starting running backs coming up to him who have never probably talked to the guy in his no. life, telling him, hey, it's all on you, man. Just make this thing happen. There should be a rule if you're a kicker. You know, if I if I got a game-winning kick, nobody come and to talk leave me to me. Alone. I, I need to be in front of the net by myself. I need to clear my head. Because he had 14 or 15 people come over and congratulate him before he took that kick. Yeah. And he shanked it. I mean, it's, it wasn't oh even God. close. I mean, it was bad. The best kick he had all night was the first field goal he made, uh-huh. you know, that mm-hmm. that they had the legal procedure penalty on. Yep. I mean, that was the best kick he had. Even the one he made was like a like a duck hook. Like a, oh, a, he had some extra points <laughs> that if he was playing in the NFL, it wouldn't have gone in. They would have lost the game. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it really was amazing. But then then we go to overtime, which mm-hmm. we all knew it was going to happen. I mean, at that point, what are you thinking? I'm thinking it's a home game for Georgia. They've already they've, We've already seen them in overtime. They've already been here before. Alabama has lost their chance, right? I mean, how do you bounce back from a missed field goal, a chip shot to win this game? That's what everyone's thinking. Georgia has this terrible possession, horrible possession. You think if Georgia wins the toss there, they win the game? Because I think that I think 
that really was like, wow. You know, that kid, that kid, that kid, whoever called Tails, Tails twice, right? Mm -hmm. They won it twice. You always call Tails. Yeah, I guess that's so. my rule of thumb. You always call tails on those. If I'm playing any video game, any, 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 I always call tails. Somehow, no, don't it works. let your secrets out, Tate Frazier. Yeah, people that's will true. take that's it up. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gamer tags playing people in Madden. They're going to beat me now. Uh, so that happens. They get the ball. Georgia has a terrible possession. My question to you is: They went. So they have these three running backs. They have Chubb, who is you know the leader I love of their Chubb. team. I love Chubb's uh, great. You consider their number one back. They have Michelle, who I think maybe probably how more, big is Michelle? He's like six one, he's, but he's over two hundred pounds. Yeah, he's like two. I mean, he's I got say. an NFL outside inside game to him. He I looks mean, like Peterson, sorta. He he really. I mean, to me, like like I don't know. Like, he's another level. But they had gone away from him, and then they had Swift, who's more of their like we need someone to block and help Fromm in the backfield and maybe give him a safety blanket coming right. out. And they go Chubb. Chubb's doing nothing. They're running these little sweet plays with Chubb. He's just getting killed because the Alabama's stringing him out, and they're getting there. They don't use Michelle. Michelle's the one who won the game against Oklahoma. So sometimes when you have, like, the, the amount of value they have in their running back position, it seemed like they got away from, we, we have to please Chubb in this moment, and they got away from Michelle. And I just, from your perspective, how, uh, how do you balance that as just I think a coach this, or someone? I, I think this, I wrote this in the book. We were, I was just talking about Belichick, and, and, and this is so true, and I think this happens in games is Einstein had this theory about intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. And so he, he breaks it down into five categories. So the first category is, obviously, it's you're smart, okay? The second category is you're intelligent. The third category is you're brilliant. The fourth category is you're a genius. And the fifth category, and the most important of all, the highest ranked, is you're simple, right? And we lose sight of that at times. We lose sight of that because sometimes we think we can outsmart ourselves by becoming a genius. When if we just keep this thing simple, remember the saying, if we don't have any tendencies, we can't be any good. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what you have to try to do is convince your team to do that. And unfortunately, I think Georgia got away from that. They try to become a genius when you don't need to be a genius. You just need to be simple and do your thing because you were doing it good enough. I mean, Fromm's a really good player. Like, I, I think Fromm, I mean, I know there's a bunch of a hoopla about Sam Darnold, but Fromm, is, a, is he a redshirt freshman or a true freshman? He's a redshirt freshman. I mean, as a redshirt freshman, to me, he's really impressive. And he's only going to get better. Like, I'm going to be like, holy heck, that guy's going to be great. Yeah. And I think they got away from him. They did. And they just got away from, I don't know, it, it felt like they had... Like I was saying earlier, I think Smart was trying to outsmart himself. Yeah, he I was. think he didn't want to show his hand because he knew what Saban expected him to do, so he tried to do something different. When really they couldn't stop Michelle. And I, I saw a lot of I, I have a lot of friends that went to Georgia and a lot of Georgia fans. And you almost went to Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Until your mom and dad knocked some sense. Yeah, in they you. were like, "You're not leaving the state. We're not paying for that." <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, everyone was saying, "I mean, like, where's Sony? Where's Sony? You know, he's our guy. You know, we you know we love Chubb, but it's just not the moment." So, like. Sometimes you just got to pass it on to the guy with the hot hand or the guy that can't stop. He's just a change of pace back for them, and I don't know. It, it made me I, I sad think, to see him get away I think from it, it comes down to being simple, and I think it's part of the job of the head coach is, and this is what makes Belichick simply so good, is he says, hey, this is a blank game. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, got, we, this is a Michelle. And you recognize that immediately. You know, Chubb's a good player, but this game ain't for Chubb, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Nick Saban recognized that too. Like he saw Chubb's that. not running over anybody on Alabama's D line, right? Exactly, or in the, or in the second, nobody on that defense. Yeah, so you got to do what what exactly you think will help you win, and you got to know the game. I mean, you got to get a mm -hmm. feel for the game. I mean, people say Nick made a great move in benching the quarterback. My question is for you: 
is like, why wasn't that kid getting reps during the season? Like, I, I don't remember off the top of my head the blowout wins that Alabama had, but I know, why didn't he play the second half of the Fresno State game? Why didn't he play, you know, some of these games that they just blew teams out? Like, to me, he should have had more reps than he had. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. I, I think it's a weird thing with that team, with Hurts, and Hurts being on this quote-unquote mission to get back to this title game. And, you know, he had the, the you know, the, they kept talking about the, the phone, phone banner. Know, yeah, I yeah, know. with the picture from the last year's game. And I don't know what he's going to have this year. I mean, I guess him He's going to be a Florida Atlantic this year. Yeah. He's going to go to Florida Atlantic. I mean, you can book it. Book it, Dano. I mean, he's going to Florida Atlantic. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, like, to me – like as a head coach, and Nick's brilliant. Nick's one of the great. But is that playing possum from Saban? Is that you don't want us to know what kind of talent we have at quarterback behind Hurts? No, I think I think there's there's a little bit like with the Tom Brady thing. You got so much invested, the guys won so much, it's hard to alter and take a right turn. You mm-hmm. know, it's like two losses in his career. You know, it's kind of hard to do it. But I think as a coach, you have to look at your team and say, you know, at some point we're going to have to throw the ball to beat somebody. Mm-hmm. And like if you're Jacksonville, right? You, 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 Doug Marone knows deep down at some point we're going to have to throw the ball to beat somebody. Mm-hmm. He probably knows Bortles ain't going to do it, <laughs> right? So it, you got to know that and you got to prepare your team. Like everything is time management. So how much more time do we have? Like I, I'm surprised, as brilliant as Nick is and as smart as he is as a coach, I'm surprised he didn't go to that kid earlier at some point during the season and get him some reps and kind of. You know, now maybe it would have hurt, hurt because it would have seen he would have seen the writing on the wall. But they say at practice he was really good and that he was talking about transferring. And so, but they said before the Clemson game too for people that didn't keep up with the pregame stuff. I mean, they hinted that Tua may play in the Clemson game. Oh, they, they did. They said if Hurts gets behind the eight ball against his Clemson defense and they need someone to throw the ball, they'd put Tua in and do a two quarterback thing. And so when I heard that, that's a... So he had, see, I'm told he had a lot of reps at practice, whereas when I was still on the Herbie side of the broadcast, Mm -hmm. it was made like he had no reps at all, right? That was Hertz was getting it all. But then I have some people down there at Alabama tell me he was getting a lot of reps. He just wasn't getting game reps. Mm -hmm. So they were getting him ready. I I think obviously when he made that move, I don't know if he thought it was going to be as successful as it had turned out, but I think he knew that if he had to throw the ball, it was only going to be that kid. Plus, you got no tape on the guy, and he's just making simple reads. I mean, when he looks off the safety and throws the, the game-winning touchdown pass— Well, back up. Hold on. What, when, when that, that play, to me, was like—that's like, one of the most unbelievable plays I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, it's—what was it, second and 25? It was, it was yeah, exactly. They lost 16 yards on a, on a long sack, which— the one thing you can't do in college football in overtime it's is get out, of, get out of field goal ring. Right. you got to at least get the points, especially you're down 23 to 20 at this point. He takes a massive Fromm did that. Fromm did that. That yes. kid with the glasses, whoever that kicker Blankenship, is. Blankenship, yes. Like Rodrigo. Him, as Belichick would say, put him on a pro board because he's going to be playing for some pro team. That kid was impressive. Yeah, he Holy got some specs. Can't he get like better glasses, Tate? Can we like do like – I think he prom- likes it. Can we promo like something on GM Street to help him get like a GM – Well, I think what he should do is get a visor, you know, like a like yeah. a, like a like a black visor so you can't even see, he but he like, has the glasses on underneath. He looks like Charlie Sheen in, uh, in uh, Major League. Yeah, exactly. He does. He does. The rec specs. They're coming back. They need to. It's big for the A's. So Fromm takes that sack, and I'm thinking, God, how do you do? I'm loving you as much as anything, but you can't take that sack, right? Mm -hmm. And then that kid bails him out with the incredible field goal. But didn't you get the sense when Alabama got the ball they were going to score a touchdown? I mean, yes. Everything has taught us to to feel that way, right? We've watched Alabama win all these games. This is the fifth title that Saban has now won there. 
But in my head, when he took the big sack, I was like, Georgia's going to win this football game. Yeah. Because I, I thought it was going to come down to Papanastos again for like a 50-yarder. He's not going to be able to match yeah. it. Blankenship's well, going to be the I hero. Well, that's what I thought, too. Yeah, I thought it was going to be, well, he can't make the field goal. And then when they got the sack, I'm thinking, holy heck. Yeah. Like, and well, then— I think that's what happened to the Georgia defense. I think they got that big sack. They're all looking at each other. Because that play happened like that. Like, if they lined right back up and ran that Seattle play, which is just a four-vert, and he looked off the one safety, which, I mean, I, I don't know the kid's name that, that gets baited on that, but you got all the help on this side. Yeah, they were you, playing cover. You got safety help over like, here, to too. To me, he almost should have been in cover four. You shouldn't have been in two there. Like, to me, like two, like if they throw the ball in the flat, God bless them, mm -hmm. right? You will rally and make the tackle. But the one thing we can't do is get – you can't be get, deep. Yeah, get beat can't deep. get beat over the head. Again, situational football. I mean, you just can't get beat. It's easy to second-guess that. But at that point, you got to say to yourself, we can't give up a big play. We got to back off and play it. Well, it also goes back to you don't know who the guy is playing quarterback. quarterback. If it's Hurts playing quarterback right there, there's no way they're running Seattle and throwing a deep ball. You know, they're probably just trying well, to get back or in he field goal range. It. I mean, the kid made yeah. a great throw, too. Yeah. I mean, the kid made a great throw. And that was a freshman who caught that ball as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were freshman. talking about, like, before I transferred over to the film room, they were talking about the backup left tackle, number 70, who's some freshman. Like, he was just – they picked him up off the street. Look, I don't know, <laughs> four, three, five – that guy's a pro player. I can tell you that right now. I know he's got four more years of college. Like, I can tell you that guy is going to play pro football. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah, I, great game. I don't know who the other guy was and how good he is, mm -hmm. whether he's – I didn't study. I watched him. Like, that guy's a pro player. Put him on a pro board. Like, I don't understand. Like, sometimes, like – like. Like sometimes the kids that are on the bench in college might be better than the only thing they lack is experience, right? Mm -hmm. And plus, he's been practicing every single day. It isn't like they haven't practiced the guy. And sometimes when you just throw a guy like Tua, who seems just like oh, he couldn't even talk about the moment. All I could talk about was, was the God. Play. Yeah, yeah, God. <laughs> All I could talk about was God and the actual. I mean, I gotta play get itself. me some of that God too. Now, I mean, he was like, he was, he was like, I gotta thank God. I gotta thank God. They ran cover two because I got, I looked Whoa. off the safety. It was like, just say, I'm excited to have won the national. Like, what was his, What was he saying about his mom? His mom and dad would get mad at him because he was saying something about God. Like, yeah. I didn't, that was a, kind of an interesting line. I don't know, but. I think the kid made a great play. I think Saban, you know, this whole thing about, I know some people think that Saban's near the end of his career and that, that, that Alabama does it. I mean, that program, wow. I mean, that's going to be hard to beat. I mean, I mean what, what are Saban, that, this will be a last thought before we move on to the NFL stuff, but with Nick Saban, the guy who wins six national championships in college football. Ties I mean, Bear Bryant. Ties Bear Bryant. I mean, what are, I mean, he's the, I mean, He's the Michael Jordan of, of college football at this point. I mean, he's I, – I don't know where he stands. I think if you're an Alabama fan, I, I texted one of my buddies last night and I said, if, if you had to choose Bear or Saban, he, he's like, it's Saban he, all day for me. You know who should get really some credit for this, for Nick Saban winning six national championships? And I think it's really – Mike Shula for being so bad? No, I think it's an unsung hero. I think the team doctor of the Miami Dolphins who failed Drew Brees on the physical, mm -hmm. which then caused Nick Saban – to go to Alabama, I think this guy should be, literally, he should have a plaque on the campus. We should figure out if he went to Alabama. No, I, I don't know his name. It's the team doctor at Miami, because Saban loved Wayne Huizenga, the, mm -hmm. the, the owner of the Miami Dolphins at the time. He loved him. What, great guy. I had many conversations with Saban about that. He loved him. And that doctor who failed Drew Brees, I was thinking about that doctor on Sunday, too, when Breeze was banging the ball all over the place. That guy there, I think Alabama owes that guy a plaque on the campus. Get him a statue. Get him a Bear Bryant statue. It'll be Bear, Saban, But see, here's doctor. the perfect example. of Here's a guy who made a, a, a decision that affected the franchise that we don't even know what his name is. It's, it's all, amazing. It's all ripple effect. All ripple effect. That's crazy. Uh, I, I, we, that's what we need to do. We need Anybody who knows who the team doctor <laughs> felt, please let us know.
Quick break to get a word from our sponsor. January means three things. Cold weather, the NFL playoffs, and The Bachelor. The Ringer Podcast Network has responded by spinning off Juliet Libman's Bachelor Party podcast into its own feed. Every Monday night, right after the show ends on ABC, we post Juliet's breakdown of the latest, latest episode. Juliet's guests include former bachelors like Ben Higgins, former contestants like Ashley I, The Ringer's Roger Sherman, and super fans like The Sports Gal. Shout out to The Sports Gal. Tell the bachelor super fan in your life to subscribe to Bachelor Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Art19, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about some uh, coaching things that are going on. Big day today. Yeah, coaching changes. John Gruden's big press conference today. Uh, Before we get into the the big Gruden, the grinder himself, let's talk about a quick one. The Chicago Bears hire Matt Nagy uh, coming from the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, an Andy Reid disciple, a guy that knows offense, a guy that can come in and possibly help this Trubisky, Cohen, this young core of of offensive guys with the Bears. Just Nagy, that hire, you know, what does that do for the Bears? I think it tells you a couple things if you're a Bears fan. First of all, they want to keep Vic Fangio. Now, we're recording this Tuesday you know, one or two o'clock LA time, uh, eleven o'clock LA time, uh, two o'clock East Coast time. You know, my indic- my belief is they will keep Vic. I could be wrong, mm. but they made this hire because this is really trying to steal the uh, the Rams uh, the Rams infrastructure. So you get Nagy to come in and coach the quarterback. I'll touch on that. You keep Vic to run the defense, which they've been drafting players for and building that. So they want to keep the continuity there. Nagy gives them a chance to allow your boy Mitchell Trubisky, the pride of North Carolina, to run an offense that would be friendly for him in this sense. So when Andy Reid left Philly and went to Kansas City, he traded for Alex Smith, and he installed, and I think this is the brilliance of Andy Reid, is he installed an offense that was more Urban Meyer-ish. Okay, mm-hmm. so it was Urban Meyer's Utah offense that Alex Smith ran effectively with the West Coast variation on it. So it's what I called West Coast College, mm-hmm. okay? And that's what they run in Kansas City. West Coast College, a lot of run-pass options, all that stuff. That made Alex Smith effective. And I think if Ryan Pace – I think what Ryan Pace saw was his success as a general manager is going to come down to Trubisky, right? Mm -hmm. No ways around it. If he hires Josh McDaniels, okay, Josh McDaniels, after about a year of Mitchell Trubisky not learning – half of the New England Patriot playbook. He's already looking elsewhere. He's saying, get me out of here. And then Pace is out of work, mm-hmm. okay? that That's no matter how much they agree at the press conference, everything's good, that's going to end badly, right? So he, so is even though, even though if you're Pace, even though you know McDaniel's the best offensive coach, he's not the best coach. For what you have in place right what now. What you have in place. So he played it safe. He just took the two iron out and played it down the middle of the fairway and hopes Nagy can do this for the quarterback. And maybe he can. And maybe Mitchell can run this West Coast college offense effectively. They've got running backs that can run. Mm-hmm. Their offensive line is is better than New, than Chicago. Chicago's offensive line is better than Kansas City, so they can do that. Their skill players on the outside aren't very good, but neither are Kansas City's other than Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. you know, who's a, a unique player. So... You know, they need Kelsey, whether it's Adam Sheen, I don't know, but they're going to need an outside guy to threaten the defense. I'm sure Pace thinks it's Kevin White who he drafted. So, you know, we'll see. He's always been hurt. But I think for me, this was about situational fit more than it was I got the best coach. And everyone around that Bears organization, it seemed like Fangio was a guy. They they wanted to bring someone in to keep Fangio there. And if Nagy's a guy that keeps him in-house, I think that's a win for everyone. Right, and I think they're going to pay Vic, and they're going to basically say, hey, you know, Vic – you know, you're the head coach of the defense. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the Wade Phillips for Sean McVay, right? So 
I think, and if that works, I think the key is going to be how good is Trubisky and can he actually do it? And I think Pace did a smart thing because if you hire McDaniels, there's no way, I can promise you, there's no way that Trubisky was going to be able to go through the entire New England system and run it. It would have handicapped, it would have made McDaniels less of a coach. This might make Nagy a little bit better. Will it be the best hire? I don't know. I think getting Vic in there is going to prove to be the best thing that they could do. I call it the remember the Titans formula. You know, when they had they had Yost coaching the defense and Boone coaching the offense, and they're, right. they bo- they're both like separate entities that are doing their own thing. They're talking junk back and forth. That's Why don't the, you get your defense to make a stop? Why don't you get your offense to score a touchdown? That, that, I think that's the NFL today. Uh-huh. I think that's what we're looking at. And now we hope that Matt Nagy took all of the great things that Andy Reid does at mm-hmm. Kansas City but left the game management part of the book <laughs> back there. Time management, hopefully that wasn't nagging Game the management, whole time, time yeah. management, whatever it is. But, I, you know, look, and, and somebody else said, who was this competition? Well, I know this for a fact. Indianapolis yesterday was interviewing a, another coach. I don't, I, I, I don't know who it was. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But they were interviewing another coach, okay? And so they weren't on the naggy train. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Arizona was on the Nagy train, and I don't know the Giants weren't on it. So people looked that he made this hire because he wanted to beat the competition. I don't think he did. I think he made this hire to make sure he could get Vic. Like yep. he needed a head coach in place before he let Vic out of the building. And, and let's talk about, you mentioned the Giants. I just want to quickly touch on them with Gettleman and that whole situation. Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, a guy that those players love Steve Wilkes. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are going to free agency that if he were to go to the Giants, they would probably be inclined to try to go up there to New York to play with Gettleman and, and Wilkes again. He gets the interview with the Giants. I think today or maybe even yeah. yesterday he had, he had the interview. Is, is that a fit that you see in New York, or is there, are they still looking for a big name I mean, guy? it's interesting because John Mara is doing a lot of phone calls behind the scenes calling about candidates. Mm-hmm. I know Gettleman's in charge of the hire, but I really think this is John Mara with Gettleman hiring. I don't think it is. I think they would ideally like to hire hire uh, an offensive coach. I think Josh McDaniels would be high on their list if they could get him. I don't think they can because I think the structure doesn't fit Josh very well. That being said, I, I think John Mara has ideas about what's wrong with his corporation. He he has an understanding that he's stuck in the 80s, yet he just doesn't want to make any changes. And when he brought Gettleman in, he clearly wasn't going to make, they're going to go status quo. And, you know, Gettleman has all the authority to make the decision on players. That's going to preclude getting somebody. I think Wilkes is probably somebody, the guy that they could hire. But I know John Mara is making a lot of phone calls right now. I don't know if they've reached a conclusion on anybody. I think they're, I know who they would like to get. I'm not sure they can. Yeah, quickly, uh, we're going to go back to the NFC North. The Detroit Lions, um, they're in a similar situation. We talked about coordinators they want to keep. They want to keep Jim Bob Cooter. They don't necessarily want to make him the head coach, but they want to keep him on staff. Stafford says he wants to have him on staff. Marvin Jones, I mean, that receiving core wants to have Jim Bob Cooter back in the building. So they're trying to find a guy on the defensive side of the football to do the same thing, where you coach defense, I coach offense. Uh, Matt Patricia is a name that's come up a lot with Detroit. Yeah, I was told Monday, what's today? Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. I was told Sunday night that Matt had the job. I mean, I think it's just a matter of whether they actually cross the T's and dot the I's, but it sounds like that Matt has the job, and Matt will be the head coach of the Lions unless barring some unforeseen thing, uh, you know, and that gives them the ability to keep Jim Bob Cooter. I think what Bob Quinn wants more than anything is he wants some of the New England system, right? Mm-hmm. He he wants some of the New England system. He wants defense to run through New England. He wants somebody he's comfortable with in terms of personnel. And then he also wants to make his quarterback happy too and by keeping Jim Bob Cooter and then maybe having somebody else around the offensive staff. So to me, I think that job's filled even though it's not technically filled with a press conference. 
Should we talk about the Cardinals real quick before we yeah. talk about the, the big fish is John Gruden. We're just right. saving it for the last. We're That's for the, the last entree. Thing. We'll do yeah. one more appetizer. We got the Arizona Cardinals. I, I don't know. I don't have a read on this one. I know they interviewed Brian, Brian Flores from the from the Cardinals. I know they interviewed Matt Patricia from, uh, Brian Flores from the Patriots. They interviewed Matt Patricia, Mike Munchak. I know they want an experienced head coach, a guy who's been in the chair before. Maybe it's Munchak. I don't know. I'm not getting a lot of information out of there. I, I, I'm not uh, hearing names that they're in love with. Uh, but I would suspect fairly soon they're going to have to make a decision, whether it's Munchak or maybe after these games this weekend, because there's really all this talk about having competition for the coach. I don't think there is a lot of competition. I think Indianapolis kind of has maybe narrowed their, their down of one or two guys, Arizona, but they're different than Arizona's one or two guys, and they're probably different than than the uh, New York Giants one or two guys. And it's a different job to walk into with the Cardinals. I mean, they've always gone for, you know, the whiz and hunt types of guys that have been in the league for a long time, veteran type guys. But you come in, you don't have Carson Palmer anymore. You're not sure what happens with Fitzgerald, even though I think he said he is going to come. Basically, it, it's an open book there, and you're not really sure what you're going to get. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's a hard job, Tate mm-hmm. Frazier. I really do. I think it's a hard job. I think their expectations are Especially higher. if you look at that division. I mean, you got Russell Wilson there. Obviously, you got the Rams, the resurging Rams. And, and then the 49ers are coming back with your boy Jimmy, you got GQ. Jimmy G. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jimmy G, he might be the best quarter. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll go Who there knows? Now. Maybe Jimmy GQ signs with the Cardinals. Maybe uh, they don't get him back. I would suspect there's no way they're letting <laughs> Jimmy GQ out of that building. No way. Maybe I would say Kirk Cousins signs with the Cardinals, but not Jimmy GQ. That's right. That could be an opportunity for Cousins to go to the Cardinals. Uh, that would fit. The moment we've all waited for. Yes, the grinder. He's now he now can be his own Gruden grinder if he were to give out his award. I, I'm excited for the Do team. Do you think they'll do hard knocks there next year? I could definitely see them trying to sell that. Yeah, maybe the first year in Las Vegas they do it. Oh, they could they could they could do they could do Gruden back, and then they could do Gruden in Las Vegas too. They could mm-hmm. like you, you could get two years out of Gruden. They you just could, call it Gruden goes to Vegas. Yeah, Gruden yeah, goes to Vegas. A little reality show. Yeah, they yeah. get him from his house. Oh, I'm so excited to go yeah. down to Las Vegas. Uh, so I saw you were watching. Uh, you're doing a little prep work. I I really appreciate it. doing a little prep work watching the Gruden grinders with. Uh, the, Derek the Gr- this is Gruden's quarterback camp. He always, uh, for the past few years on ESPN. Loved every quarterback. He's loved every quarterback. He said they're all going to be winners, and uh, he can't wait to watch them win championships. Have we put together the list of all the guys that he's kind of coached? Like, if I was in the if I was in the AFC West, okay, mm-hmm. I would probably have somebody working on this, maybe two people. I would work on everything that's ever been written, said by John, on every single player, and kind of keep a, a portfolio on everything that he knows, especially on these quarterbacks that he's worked out, to kind of get a sense of maybe what he's thinking about doing in, when he gets to Oakland. Well, and he's got guys, I mean, you know, even like a Paxton Lynch, I think, has been on this quarterback camp. So did he like Paxton Lynch? I think he did. I think he did. I, and, and you just go down the list, and it's like, wow, he was in camp with him, so he knows a little bit. Like, Jameis is one that I remember vividly because, you know, he made Jameis go up to the whiteboard but and start drawing up plays. I don't think people realize there's two John Grutens, right? There's the one that does these camp, and then there's the real John Gruden. Like, I don't think people realize this I know they think I think they all think it's like you know it's like sort of like a John Madden you know there's the video game John Madden the coach John Madden everyone has this you know the media entity is what they believe in not the 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 coach himself uh with Gruden and Derek Carr I think the interesting part about his QB camp when I was watching it he talked about David Carr a lot he's like David Carr's at all your games at Fresno State he's right by your side looking like an actor you know watching you you know play football is are you a quarterback like David Carr which I mean if you're Derek Carr you're trying to get drafted you're not going to say yeah I'm a bust like my brother you're not going to say that <laughs> but I think really what Gruden was asking are, are you tough uh-huh. that exactly. was his way of saying it because everybody thinks David Carr wasn't tough so mm-hmm. Gruden's trying to find a way to ask are you tough and you know, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this all. I, I think this is a fascinating thing that's left. There's two fascinating things that are going to happen in Oakland with this press conference today. 
Gruden's going to talk about how he's going to get along with Reggie McKenzie and how he loves Reggie. Mm -hmm. Okay. That to me has disaster written all over with a capital D. Okay. Like to be John Gruden's personnel guy, uh -huh. it's a unique, you got to have a unique personality. You got to be able to handle his ability to be so volatile in terms of players because the John Gruden, the Will Rogers we saw on TV weekly, that ain't John Gruden. Mm -hmm. Like he'll want to fire every player immediately after. You know, like, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. That guy's good. And, he'll, you know, and so the GM has to have a sense of patience and confidence to not react to every move he makes. That's going to be difficult. And that team is built un-John Gruden-like, okay? And so that's going to – and then the second part is how he handles the God relationship with Carr because it's a factor, right? Like, we can kid about, you know, the Tui talking about how God – he wanted to thank God. But you know, we're kidding, right? Like, God is in that kid's life. He believes it. And it's really strongly in Carr's life to the mm -hmm. point where the reason he left, he got drafted later in the draft is because people were worried he really wasn't in love with football, that the ministry might have been more important than actually going after football. So I think those are going to be two fascinating things. And how he addresses that at the press conference today, I think you're going to be like, whatever he says today, okay, divide by three. And, and you know, it's not going to, you know, like it. And, yeah. and Derek Carr at the end of the season, I think the last game I remember watching his press conference, and they asked him what what you know what it would mean for someone to walk into that Raiders building, and he said there, there's gonna be a lot of dogs that are ready to fight. I think was the quote that he said, and you know the reporter, like a great journalist, should followed up and said, well, where have the dogs been the whole season? Yeah, and and then he was kind of stumped for a second. <laughs> it's like he didn't expect a, a comeback to that, um, and I think that's what Gruden's gonna have to fight a little bit. I mean, a little bit of uh, we thought we were coordinated, and now we're back to the mean. I mean, he's going to have to light a fire on a bunch of these guys, and I think Carr is one of the main ones. And a lot of them are well-paid. Uh -huh. I mean, so the offensive line is well-paid. I mean, the Raiders have paid some players to get him in there, and he's going to have to start. First of all, John has such a such – a, there's such a two different Johns. I mean, there's 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 John that wants veteran players that know what to do, right? And mm. then there's John that always wants these talented young players. But So there's that conflict going on internally, and he uses this, and I say this with tremendous respect to John. He uses this – as a way to motivate himself, right? It, he he wants to motivate himself. So if he convinces himself the players stink, that it's him that's moving the ball, that's how he gets up in the morning and he motivates himself. So I don't think he truly means a lot of what he says. So that's why I say you got to divide by three. And you got to know that sometimes what he's saying isn't true. I remember having a conversation when he left Oakland with the guys that were in Tampa. And I'm like, you are going to be about to witness the, the hardest job in the world because you're going to have to try to balance this. And it's not going to be easy for you because he's going to be critical of the players you're bringing in when that's just the way he's motivating himself. And I think Carr is going to have to handle that too. And I don't know what Carr's innate toughness is. Plus, I don't know what that organization's toughness is in terms of their players. Mm -hmm. Like they're not in shape, which – is hard to do, right? They're not well. They're not fundamentally well coached. It's gonna have to. It's gonna take some time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least you have some talented guys. I mean, obviously Cooper had a really down season this year. Crabtree's a guy. Yeah, but Crabtree's yeah. not. I mean, that there's so many things that are gonna change. Like if I was a team competing against them, like I would tell, like what I always did in the NFL is, and this is an Al Davis thing, is anytime there's a coaching change, you always take those teams. And you always make sure that you have done a complete job in terms of breaking those teams down. Study those, right? So, okay, so during the season, you have 31 teams. You study, you write reports on every player. 
on the teams that make coaching changes, you basically, as the personnel director, you take those teams, right? So I would take the 10 or 6, 6, 17, and make sure I knew those teams better than I knew my own team. Because they're going to start getting rid of players just because they're from somebody else. It's a new regime. It's yeah. a new regime. It's not because the player's no good. Mm-hmm. They're just, get him out of here. I don't like that kid. I like the way he looked. And if you know those players, you can capitalize on some of this and really take advantage of it. And if I was in the league, that's what I would do because the Raiders are going to dump some guys because they don't fit John, which they should do, right? But that doesn't mean they're bad players. Yeah, and the last thing that Gruden said on the, on the QB camp with Derek Carr is, let's go win some championships. And I, I, don't, know he knew that, it. I don't know if that was foreshadowing that he knew he was going to come back. Do you back. think that's funny, funny that he admitted to Derek Carr that he had the job then when he wouldn't admit to Sean McDonough that he had the job? Well, I, I think that comes back to personal relationships. I, I, uh, really? I, yeah, Clearly. I, I don't think he wanted McDonough to know anything. It's sort of like if, you know, if someone's not your friend and they're asking you all these personal questions, you just keep it vague. You know, I think that's a, you know, Gruden treated it like that. He was like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I love the fact that A, they had a press conference called on Tuesday, and then B, <laughs> 10 minutes, he wasn't even in the car driving to the airport that the Raiders released that he's our right. head coach. Yeah, I think he said right as soon as the game wraps, just put it out there to the world. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good stuff by John Gruden. Uh, before before we get out of here, anything else? Uh, we're going to be back to our Friday, Friday focus uh, to talk about the Saturday and the Sunday games. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, in fact, I think we got Mick coming to town. The, the Jets are off this week, so we got Mick. Maybe we'll have him come in here and do a little bit, do a little, do a little behind the scenes. There watch we the go. Games. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. We'll figure out what a catch is. We'll talk to Severian Jenkins. We'll get him on the phone. We'll see if we can figure <laughs> this thing out. Uh, this has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you, Mike Lombardi. Thank you, Tate Frazier. <laughs>